0: Hey, everybody. Hey, uh, it's so fun to be together today. And if you're at one of the campuses or you're watching online, I want to say welcome home. Uh, It's great to be together. You know, something really special happens when the church is together, worshiping together, encouraging each other, challenging each other. And this summer, we've been finding a home in Scripture, taking a look at the fruit of the Spirit. And uh, it's a great time of year to talk about the fruit of the Spirit, right? Because so many fruits are in season right now. It's just so much fresh fruit. I love it. It's so good. Hey, the garden at my house, it's like something new every day is out there ready to be picked. It's like, a, it's like an adventure every time. And uh, it's a really rewarding time of year. And uh, the other day, I got to tell you about this. This was so good. I was driving home from work. It's actually kind of funny. I was driving home from work, and I saw a fruit stand on the side of the road. And you know how you get the best fruit from a fruit stand or like you get the best fruit out of the back of a pickup truck. You don't get it at the grocery store, right? Like the freshest stuff that you get, it comes like it comes right from the farm. Okay, so I saw this fruit stand and I thought this is great. This is the perfect time of year. I'm going to stop and get some fruit. So I pulled over, I walked over to the fruit stand and as I'm walking up, there's a sign on the fruit stand and it says fresh squeezed fruit juice. I'm like, perfect. This is great. It sounds so refreshing. It's so hot today. And, you know, I I could go for some fruit juice. And uh, I walked up and I asked the guy, I said, what kind of fruit juice do you have? And he said, we've got lots of kinds of fruit juice. And I said, well, which one's the best one? I want the best one. He said, they're all good. Okay. I was like, well, can we get a little bit of, like, can we mix them together? You know, can we get, like, all the types of juice mixed together? And he's like, yeah, like a fruit punch. And I was like, That's it. Yes, exactly. Like a fruit punch, that sounds so good. And he said, we can do that. He said, just go wait in that line over there. And I looked around. I was the only one there. There was no punch line. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, as we get started... Hey, well, as we get started today, we're going to do the kind of the same thing we've been doing each week in this series because it's so good for us. We're going to take a look at that scripture in Galatians, scripture uh, five, Galatians five twenty-two through twenty-three, where it describes for us the kind of fruit that is produced in us. It's the kind of fruit that's produced when we live a life that's submissive to Jesus. And so we're going to read this passage out loud together as a way to let it become part of who we are. So let's, let's read this uh, together out loud wherever you're at. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control... Against such things, there is no law. Well, I've heard this, that we crave more and more of what we feed ourselves. And I found this to be true in my life in lots of areas. I mean, when, when uh, in my diet, maybe you've had this experience, like if you eat a lot of junk food, you start to crave more and more junk food. But when you start paying attention to what you eat and you start trying to eat the things that are good for you, your desires change, and, and all, the start, all of a sudden you start to want more of the good stuff. Uh, I see this in the ways that we entertain ourselves. I mean, when I consume media or books that are uplifting or they, they make me think, I, I want more of that. But when I waste time and I just I doom scroll, you know, I end up just just wanting more of that. And it's no good for me or for anyone. And when we put more and more Jesus into our lives, well, the fruit of the Spirit, those are the things that start to become evident within us. That's how it works. And the temptation that we're being careful not to fall into as we look at the fruit of the Spirit is this. It's not a to-do list. I mean, you're not going to look at this and say, okay, uh, uh, love, check. Got that one. Joy, check. Peace, check patience. Don't have time for that one. This is a list. This is a a list of that's descriptive of a life that is filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not prescriptive of what you have to do or or what you need to accomplish in order to have the Holy Spirit inside of you. When Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you begin to cultivate a place in your life for these things to grow. And today we're going to give our attention to faithfulness. Many of the aspects of the fruit of the Spirit may seem like they come naturally to some people. Like some of them seem like a personality trait. And some people may seem to have the qualities of joy or patience or so on in their lives. And you know what? It is true. The Holy Spirit does gift each of us in unique ways. In individual ways and scripture talks about that those gifts play an important role in the body of Christ Paul wrote Galatians he also wrote this letter called first Corinthians and in that letter he gives a list it's not an exhaustive list but it is a list of some of the gifts of the spirit and it describes how they're unique and how they benefit the church and how they benefit the world around us But the fruit of the Spirit, these nine things, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, these are growing inside of every believer because these things, they're in the very character of who God is, and they're displayed perfectly in the life of Jesus. And the name Christian, that means little Christ. So these things that are displayed in Jesus. We long for these attributes to be true of us, to be part of who we are as we imitate Christ. It's what we're all about. So here's a good definition of biblical faithfulness. It's this, habitually keeping your word, honoring your relationships, and trusting God in all circumstances. And that may sound like a really encompassing definition of what a life that follows Christ looks like. And in a lot of ways, it's true. It is. And faithfulness stands out in this list of the fruit of the Spirit. It stands out because it's not easily confused with a personality trait. And it's so related to all of the other fruit. As your faithfulness grows, so does your capacity for love. As your faithfulness grows, so does your desire for peace. As your faithfulness grows, so does your longing for goodness. Another definition that I really like for faithfulness is consistent loyalty, even in difficult circumstances. Consistent loyalty, even in difficult circumstances. I'm going to give you the punchline right now. Here it is. It's Hebrews 12.1. It says this. Let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Faithfulness is not giving up even when it gets hard. It's perseverance. Hey, I, I love long distance running. Uh, running is a great way to think about faithfulness. Uh, it takes commitment, it takes dedication, it takes a goal. Uh, without those things, uh, it'd be hard to be motivated to keep running. And I've learned so much about myself, and I've learned a lot about my relationship with God while I'm pounding out the miles, while I'm out running. And sometimes it's with a good friend, sometimes it's just me and God. You ever heard somebody say this, that life isn't a sprint, it's a What? It's a marathon. You hear people say all the time, life isn't a sprint, it's a marathon. And that's a good comparison because in, uh, in those races, faithfulness is persevering to the end of the race. And when faithfulness has been there all along the way in the training, leading up to the race, it's not taking those days off. It's, it's putting in the miles. Well, if you do that, if you have faithfulness in those times, then you have what it takes to finish the race. Time and again in Scripture, there's examples of God's faithfulness. And we could spend this entire summer telling the stories of God's faithfulness, the way that God has kept his promises, the way that God honors relationships, the way that God is trustworthy. And I want to read for you right now a couple of my favorite Scriptures that speak of God's faithfulness, okay? Psalm 91 is the first one. It says this, that he will cover you with his feathers and under his wings You will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by the day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. There's a lot of things in this world that we could be afraid of. There always have been, and there always will be. And no matter what's going on in your life, No matter what you're afraid of, God's faithfulness is a place that you can run to. And maybe there's places right now in your life that are filled with fear. And I want you to know this. God cares about you. God cares about you. He cares about what you're going through. Lamentations 3, there's another beautiful passage. It says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, all his love and his faithfulness. It makes us want to sing, doesn't it? I mean, maybe you're thinking of a song right now. I am. You know, uh, we can't help ourselves but be moved to worship when we think about God's faithfulness. From the rising sun to the setting, same. I'll praise your name. Great is your faithfulness to me. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. Your faithfulness, I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence that you've never failed me. And all my life you've been faithful. All my life you've been so so good. I don't know about you. We could just we could end this message right now, right? And we could just start singing. Because God's faithfulness is so present in our lives. And he cares about us. It just makes us want to respond. One of the most enduring hymns of the church in the last hundred years is called, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Maybe you know it. Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. That last line, there's no shadow of turning with thee, it comes from this passage in James 1 where it says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who doesn't change like the shifting shadows. He's the same as he always has been. He's dependable like the rising of the sun. And when I hear those words, I I think about God's faithfulness. But then I start to think about this, that there's a shadow turning right here in me. There's another old hymn that has this line that's convicting. It says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Do you feel it? The world feels it. I mean, look around. We're in pretty short supply of faithfulness. And we hear stories all the time of unfaithfulness, right? You hear about scandals and failed relationships. And, and this is nothing new for our generation. It's been this way since sin entered the picture way back in the beginning. And humans, we, we have a problem with unfaithfulness. And we feel it. We feel it. One of the reasons we sing about God's faithfulness for us so often and so passionately, it's because we desperately want to be faithful also. We do. It's not the thing that comes naturally to us. It's not easy for us, but oh, we long to be on the giving side of faithfulness, not just the receiving side. So today I want to look at three areas of our lives. Three really practical places where we can put in the miles, where we can pound out the miles and prepare ourselves so that through the Holy Spirit, faithfulness will develop in our lives so that we can run the race that's set out before us. So the first one is this. It's faithfulness in relationships faithfulness in our relationships and I've heard this said before that life is all about relationships and it's true. it's true right It's right here in the beginning of this book right here. God said at the beginning he said it's not good for us to be alone. There's a longing within all of us to have a connection with people and now I know that some of us are extroverts and some of us are introverts but no matter who you are, I know this that relationships are important. And there's all sorts of relationships in our lives where faithfulness is important with a close friend, with a spouse, with a coworker, or a family member, with a child. Many times we think about this word faithfulness and we think about it just in the context of a marriage relationship. And I want you to know this, it's true. It's vital that faithfulness is there in the marriage relationship. But I also know this. That every good marriage, really any good relationship, is built upon a strong friendship. I hope you have good friendships, really great friendships in your life that are strong and that they're a source of encouragement for you. They're a place that that brings joy and laughter and good godly relationships. They're not content in letting you stay where you are, but they encourage you to grow. They encourage you to grow, to stretch yourself. And maybe there's places in your life right now where there's pain because there's relationships where there's been unfaithfulness. And I know that's, that's real. And it hurts. Or maybe you carry shame around in your life because you've been unfaithful in some relationships. And now there's distance between you and people that you care about. To have faithfulness in a friendship, in a relationship, you make a commitment to being there. Make a commitment to be there, to be present with people. And we live in a pretty fascinating time where we can be present with people so easily all over the world. I mean, you can get out your phone and FaceTime somebody on the other side of the world. There's a book in the Bible about a, a guy named Job. And in, this, in the story in Job, Job, his faithfulness to God was tested by Satan. And Job loses everything. He loses everything. He experiences the loss of his children. He experienced the loss of his home and his livelihood. Everything he has. And he's left with nothing. And then Job has these three friends. And I, and I know Job's friends don't always get everything right. But they did have some pretty good instincts right away. They were faithful friends. This is what scripture says about those friends when they heard about what Job was going through. It says this, when, when those three friends, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite, heard about all the troubles that had come upon him, they set out from their homes, and they met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. And when they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. And they began to weep out loud, and they tore their robes, and they sprinkled dust on their heads And they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. And no one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. And maybe you feel like you don't know what to do or say to be a faithful friend, especially in those hard times when when your friend is going through some, some difficult things. But you know what? The most important thing that you can do is just show up. Just show up. Those friends didn't say a word for seven days. They just sat there and they cried With their friend. They saw that their friend was hurting and they ran to be with him. Actually, if you read the whole book, it's when they start talking, that's when things start getting really crazy and they make a lot of mistakes. The faithful friends are the ones who are going to show up at the birthday parties and the graduation parties, but they're also the ones who will be there in the waiting room at the hospital when you're going through the hardest days of your life. They're the ones who will drive across town with a chainsaw when a tree falls down in your front yard. They're the ones who carry a casket, pull a tissue out of their pocket to hand it to you. Faithfulness is showing up. Faithfulness and friendships means being there, but it also means keeping your commitments. Keeping your commitments. I'm reminded in Matthew chapter 5 when Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. So are you a person who's dependable? Are you a person of integrity? Can, can the people in your life trust the words that you're saying? I know this, that uh, this happens to me. I say yes way too often. Far too often I say yes. That fear of missing out kicks in, and I say yes to everything. And when I do that, it ends up making all my yeses not yeses. Sometimes I have to change it into a no, and my yes isn't yes, and my no isn't no. But hey, can the people closest to you, can they count on you? Can they trust you? Gary Smalley is a Christian author and a therapist, and he wrote about a 40-year-old man in one of his books who, during a session, told about an event that happened 28 years earlier. Uh, This man said this, When I was just 12 years old, my Boy Scout troop planned a father-son campout, and I was thrilled, I was thrilled to give my father all the information. I wanted so much to show him all the things I was learning and scouting, and I was so proud when he said that he would go with me. Well, Friday, the camp out finally came and I had all my gear out on the porch, ready to stuff it in his car. The moment he pulled into the driveway, we were supposed to meet at the school at 5 o'clock and then to carpool to the campground, but but Dad didn't get home until 7 o'clock. And and I was frantic, but he explained how things had gone wrong at work and he told me not to worry. That we could still get up first thing in the morning and, and join the others. After all, we had a map. Well, I was disappointed, of course, but I decided just to make the best of it. And first thing in the morning, I was up getting everything in his car while it was still getting light, all ready for us to catch up with my friends and their fathers at the campground. And he said that we would leave at about 7, and I was ready a full half hour before that. But he never got up until 9.30. And when he saw me standing out in the front with the camping gear, he finally explained that He had a bad back, and he couldn't sleep on the ground. And he hoped that I would be a big guy about it. But would I please get my things out of his car? Because he had several commitments to keep. Just about the hardest thing I've ever done in my life was to go out to that car and take out my sleeping bag and my cook stove, my pup tent, and my supplies. And while I was putting my stuff away, and he thought that I was out of sight. I watched as my father walked out to the garage, sling his golf clubs over his shoulder, and throw them in his trunk to drive away to keep his commitments. Oh, it hurts. It hurts when faithfulness is violated, when trust is broken. That faithfulness is keeping your promises, Letting your yes be yes. So in your relationships, strive to be dependable, to be trustworthy, to be someone who's consistently there. Live in such a way that that you can say to the people around you, I will never give you up. I will never let you down. And faithfulness in relationships is the first area. And the second area is faithfulness to the body of Christ, to the church. Hey, I love this church. I love this group of people here at Mountain. And uh, I've seen the way that God has been faithful in this community in my own life. There's lots of stories of God's faithfulness in the 198 years of history here. But you know, Mountain Christian Church is one expression of the big C church, okay? So like the church that's all over the world. The church isn't a building, it's not a denomination, but it's everyone who recognizes that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. So the church is diverse, and it's beautiful, it's resilient, it's made, out, made up of little outposts of hope all over the world. But it seems that faithfulness to the church isn't quite what it once was in our, in our culture so Mountain's a really strong and healthy and growing church, but more and more churches each year are closing their doors. And I read these statistics the other day that said this, that people born between 1927 and 1945, that 65% of those people were Bible-driven Jesus followers who love God and based their lives on Scripture. So I think about my grandparents, that generation, and how I observed and I learned faithfulness from them And then the next group, born between 1946 and 1964, 35% are Bible-driven Jesus followers. The next 20-year segment, those born between the mid-60s and the mid-80s, it's 16%. Those born in the mid-80s to the mid-2000s, it's only 4%. And the data for those born in the last 20 years, it's still being collected, but it appears that that trend is continuing. You know, just about every week right now, I have a conversation with somebody who's coming back to church for the first time in a few years. And every time I hear the these same thing, it's, I didn't realize how much I missed this. I didn't realize how much I missed it. I didn't realize how much I needed this. I I didn't realize how much I needed connection with people. I, I didn't realize how much I needed connection with the Lord. Hey, walking through the doors, it's certainly a way to be faithful to the body of Christ. And I hope that you make that a priority for you and for the people that you care about. And the last few years have changed so much about the way that our lives work And some of us got into habits that we never would have imagined. Some of us right now are participating and worshiping online, and I'm so thankful for online ministry because it's changing lives. It really is changing lives. I hope that if you have the ability to be in person, that you make that a priority. It'll bless you. It'll bless you, and it'll bless God And it will bless the people around you. It will bless and encourage everyone that you see. Hebrews 10 says this, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching faithfulness to the body of Christ looks like spurring each other on, spurring each other on, carrying each other's burdens when we can. And that scripture says, don't give up meeting together. That means don't give up coming to services. Don't give up being part of your small group where you encourage each other. Don't give up serving together where you can be the wonderful and beautiful hands and feet of Jesus. Don't give up on the body of Christ and don't give up on the people around you most Saturdays for over a decade now, I've been running with my friend Jeff, and uh, we've logged countless miles together at this point. Now, now, Jeff's a better runner than me, so most Saturdays, I'm just doing everything I can to keep up. He's dragging me along, and it makes me a better runner. But every once in a while, I have a good day, and I'm dragging him along. doesn't happen very often. But you know what? We're both better runners because because of running together, because of our friendship, because we encourage each other, because we spur one another on. And sometimes, you know, it's just this. It's just knowing that somebody is going to be out there waiting at the trail early in the morning so I can't turn my alarm clock off and go back to sleep. There's a real churchy word for that. It's called accountability. Accountability. That's a good picture for the church. It's a good picture for the church, spurring one another on towards love and good deeds. And the last area of our lives where we can grow in faithfulness is faithfulness to God. Faithfulness to God. Another way to say this is living by faith in God. We just heard a verse a moment ago from Hebrews 10. The next chapter, Hebrews 11 We call this the Hall of Fame of Faith. It's a really great chapter. It's the history of God's people, a very brief overview of the history of God's people. And, you know, God's people are a storytelling people. And so this chapter tells the stories of God's faithfulness and it tells the story of God's people. People would sit around and tell these stories about their ancestors. And this chapter tells us about how these people lived lives of faith. And it starts off, the first verse says this, Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This chapter says this, that it was by faith that Noah built the ark. And he saved his family and he became the heir of righteousness confident in what he hoped for, assurance about what he did not see. And then it goes on to say this, By faith, Abraham and Sarah were able to conceive in their old age, and their descendants became as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Uh, By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months when he was born. By faith, Moses led God's people out of slavery in Egypt. By faith, David led God's people. By faith, the prophets administered justice and spoke on behalf of the Lord. And now all these people, all these heroes of the faith, we could go down the list and we could, we could point out their character flaws. We could point out their sins. And those are just the things that we know about them. But it's so good to know that even people who make mistakes, even people who aren't perfect can live lives of faithfulness. So that means that you and I are in good company. You and I can live lives that are faithful. And we can make it a habit to be confident in what we hope for and have assurance about what we do not see. And that brings us back to the punchline today. You remember the punchline? Hebrews 12.1 says this, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and and that's all those, those stories of faithfulness throughout the history of God's people. It's this community of faith right here, this body of Christ, those good and godly friendships that you have, this great cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Faithfulness is running the race with perseverance. And faithfulness is finishing the race. Uh, There's a story about John Stephen Aquari from Tanzania. He ran the marathon in the 1968 Olympics in Mexico City. And it was the honor of a lifetime for him to run and to represent his country on the world stage But not long into the race, he started to cramp up. And because the race was in Mexico City at really high elevation, he became disoriented and he fell over at one point in the race. And when he did, he busted his knee open and his shoulder hit the ground really hard and and he was he was injured pretty badly. And the crowd thought he would quit. But he got up and he kept running. He kept running. He was far behind the pack now. There was no chance of winning the race, let alone placing. But he kept running. And after the race, he was asked by a reporter, why, why didn't you just quit? Why would you keep running? And he said, well, my country didn't send me 5,000 miles to start the race. They sent me 5,000 miles to finish the race. That's faithfulness. That's faithfulness. Maybe today the first step in training for faithfulness, a way to lace up your shoes, a way to prepare yourself is to take a step of faith. To take a step of faith. Maybe you need to put your faith in Jesus for the first time. And we share an illustration at Welcome to Mountain every time that we do Welcome to Mountain. And if you've never been to Welcome to Mountain, I hope that you can get to one of those experiences really soon. Uh, But we share this illustration every time, and I want to share it today because it's a great way for us to visualize what it looks like to live lives of faithfulness. And it reminds me of the blessed assurance of salvation. So earlier today, we talked about how way back in the beginning, that God said it wasn't good for us to be alone. And at the very beginning, there was a time when, when humans... Humans and God existed together in the garden. And there was a perfect relationship between humans and God. There was perfect communion between humans and God. And we call it, that, you know, that little cup of juice and the cracker that we receive each week. We call that communion because it reminds us of this perfect relationship With God. But somewhere along the line, humans started to to wonder if God really knew what He was talking about. And humans started to take some steps away from God. And sin entered the picture. It was devastating. It was devastating. It changed everything. It changed everything. And all of a sudden, this perfect relationship between God and humans, it was severed, and it didn't exist in the same way. And there was pain, and there was guilt, and there was shame, and we felt it, and we felt it, and we still feel it today. And ever since sin entered the picture, we've been trying to figure out How to get back to God. How do we get back to God? I mean, it's what we were created for. Our souls are crying out for it. And we've tried everything. We've tried everything to fill the void. We've tried entertainment and medication and aggression and pleasure and we start to think, what do I have to do to get back to God? What do I have to do to get back to God? And, and, and you start asking around. You ask people, and like, you know, how, how do I get to be right with God? And somebody will say to you, well, be a good person. Be a good person. Well, I'm being a good person. Well, it's, it's good, right? And so you can be a good person, and, and it does get you a little way. But being a good person, it won't get you all the way back to God. And you start thinking, okay, well, what? what do those people at church do? They, they read their Bible. They read their Bible, and you, so you start reading your Bible, and it's a good thing, but it doesn't quite get you there. Back to God, and then you're like, oh, what, what else do they do? They pray, and you start, so you start praying, and it doesn't quite get you there, and you think, okay, what else? Oh, I can help a little old lady across the street. It doesn't quite get you there, and you can do, and you can do, and you can do, and in the end, it's all just a bunch of doo-doo, right? You saw that one coming, right? I hope so. I hope you did. But God made a way for the relationship between us and God to be restored through his son Jesus when Jesus went to the cross on our behalf. And when Jesus went to the cross, he took all of our sins, all of our guilt, and all of our shame with him. And when Jesus rose from the grave, he gives you life with God forever. And all you have to do all you have to do is trust that the cross of Christ is the bridge that will be the way for you to get to God. You remember that movie, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade? You know that movie? It's like one of my favorite movies ever. I love it. I, I, I love it for lots of reasons. It's got amazing music. The action sequences are so good. Although now when you watch it, you're like, this is super corny, right? Right? But, uh, hey, I love that movie. I still love it. You know that part of the movie where Indy gets, gets to that chasm that's between him and where the Holy Grail is? And, and he's standing on the edge, and he's looking down, and it doesn't seem like there's any way for him to get across. And he has to do what? He has to take a, he has to take a step of what? Of faith. He has to take a step of faith. And as soon as he does, his foot lands on that bridge, and he realizes that bridge, it's strong enough to hold him. And he walks the rest of the way across to claim his prize. I want you to know this. Right here. This first step out onto the cross of Christ. Right there. It has a name. And it's faith. That's called faith. And then this next step. And this next step. That's faithfulness. That's faithfulness. And the day of Christ, the day of Christ is coming. The day of Christ is approaching and Jesus is coming back. And when he does, I want to be able to say this. Like it says in 2 Timothy 4, 7, it says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And I hope on that day that we will all hear those words from God. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Let's pray together. God, we're grateful that you've demonstrated for us what faithfulness looks like. We've experienced it in our lives so many times. So grateful. God, I'm grateful for the cross of Christ that takes away our sins And God, help us to live lives of faithfulness. Help us to have faithfulness in our relationships with with the people around us and have faithfulness right here in this church and have faithfulness with you. So God, we love you. We pray that our hearts would look more and more like Jesus all the time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.